Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Pagans Tonight Radio Network, the voice of the pagan world. Pagans Tonight is sponsored by Witchschool.com, your anyone, anytime, anywhere magical education. And good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you're at in the world today. And it could be any one of uh, a series of nations, as you as you know. And tonight, we're going to reach out across the ocean uh, from my usual spaces to the Netherlands to speak with Chris Copeland. But first, I want to make a mention. Um, I want to thank everybody who's continued to keep us in the top-notch levels of being in the podcast world. I'm always very, uh, very flattered and very and very grateful that we do so. Um, I'm going to be doing a very special show here soon uh, with Patrick McCollum about the messenger, uh, about his nomination by Dr. Jane Goodall of being uh, made a messenger or being nominated for a messenger of the United Nations. A huge honor. I know a lot of people just don't know what that means. And so I'm, I'm very, for me, it's very kind of one of those important moments that people have in their lives in our community. And I think that's one of them. Um, I also want to make out an announcement for um, the secret art of witch wars. My book that I've been working on updating um, is going to be having an Indiegogo campaign within the next couple of hours, maybe today or tomorrow we'll be starting that. So you can pre-order because it'll be available in May and I will be teaching a course of it in Salem in April. More announcements on that later. But one of the great things I want to talk about right now is uh, we've been talking about business all week, and you've had uh, uh, Sandra Maria Wright of um, uh, Gallows Hill Jewelry, and she does her own psychic fairs, and of course, of Salem fame. I, I thought, and to answer the, one of the questions out there, yes, she's a very athletic person, yes. And I was really appreciative of it. But today we're going to be talking to Chris Copeland, a teacher, vlogger, and you, if you got on her personal page, she vlogs almost every day, I think every day. And she talks about a lot of different things, but mostly she's Scos. I think it's Scos Transcriptions dot com. She's deep into communication. Um, she's originally she is from the United States, Texas particularly, and Texas is looming large in our world. Um, and uh, so she has a lot of interesting stories, but mostly she's been doing a lot in communication. So we're going to talk to her about business communication and, of course, her faith. Hi, Chris. Are you there? I am. Thank you, Ed. And um, Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. Awesome. Um, so, yeah. So, well, thank you for joining us um, uh, and uh, taking some time out from your day. So, so right now, um, I mentioned it's just transcriptions. transcriptions. Yes, and just and, a quick uh, correction it is um, scoff transcription with a short O sound. Ah. All right, guys, you can take a shot every. It's really, <laughs> really in the morning, so take it easy. You can take a shot every time I blow that one. Um, there's a whole drinking game associated with this show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is. I'm not kidding. It's been a very long time. People have made fun of uh, my mis- uh, enunciations for years. It keeps me on my toes. <laughs> um, no problem. So one of the things I think you um, I, you've got a couple of interesting aspects into it. But first, how did you get? How do? You, how does it, uh, a young Texas woman go from the United States to owning her own business in the Netherlands of all places? 
Oh, well, that's a, that's a very long story, but um, to kind of just make it a little shorter, uh, I grew up in a pretty impoverished part of uh, Texas, and um, I actually ended up getting pregnant at 18. And I really struggled to get through uh, to get my degree and get out of poverty while raising a kid. Um, and then once I got my degree, it was still just kind of the same thing. Like I was still just struggling to make ends meet. And um, uh, I went through a lot of things. I went through a divorce. I went through uh, recovery financially because after I started a business and started making good money, I lost all my money during the divorce and had to rebuild everything. So um, part of the rebuild has been moving to the Netherlands. And that was kind of almost an accident. I, I, it was actually, I was supposed to go here for vacation and I ended up falling in love with the place and I'm with someone here now. Um, so on top of my health issues, it just, it makes more sense for me to be here. That makes sense. And so as a businesswoman, you, you decided to start your own business and, um, and it became communication transcriptions. Can you describe a little bit of what Scoth Transcriptions does? Uh, yes, I can describe what Scoth does. Everyone else take a drink now. Yeah, they would. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, uh, basically, um, what, um, I'm sorry, can you repeat the question again? What what do you do? What is it that your company does? Oh, as far as, okay. So we have, what does it have? What, uh, well, basically what we do is uh, transcription work, which has a lot of different categories. Um, one of the things we do is uh, transcribe for um, a company that records congressional hearings. So we um, listen to Senate hearings. We listen to press conferences. We listen to uh, presidential press conferences as well. And we listen to um, the House of Representatives. That's one of our big clients. But we also do um, education work. Uh, we do legal uh, depositions. And we also do a lot of work with um, uh, small companies that are, you know, like YouTube, YouTube channels. And um, we've even transcribed music videos before. So it's a variety of different content. It's always something new. On top of that, we also do translation. So we have about... Uh, anywhere between 20 and 30 transcribers on our team at any time. And they transcribe in about 10 different languages now. And we always have more people that we work with if there's a language we don't have in, in our in-house. So. Well, that's pretty amazing. And you must be really busy these days because there's a lot of stuff coming out. Uh, um, we are ramping up for the year. So yeah, things are picking up pretty quick. Oh, good. And, um, and so, so that's, that you also do, I know that you mentioned that you do life coaching a bit. Um, yes. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. It was mentioned. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, sure. Um, so a lot of the coaching I do is in-house with um, our team. Each member of our team is actually growing their own business. So we're not a traditional brick-and-mortar company where we have employees. Everyone in SCOF is an equal partner in the company. So everyone has an equal say in how the business is ran, and everyone has their own accountabilities and responsibilities within the organization. We're not a top-down structure. 
uh, like traditional corporate structures. We are a circles model. We uh, have adopted holacracy as our governance method. And what that means is that we have um, a horizontal balance of power. And it's not just me at the top making all the decisions and handing that down to people. Honestly, it's uh, not a, a lot of it's not up to me because I'm not the best person to make those decisions. So um, what I do is I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. That's very fascinating. Yeah. um, The the thing that I do within the business, a lot of it is business coaching. So I'll um, help my people to build out their teams. I will talk to them about how they can um, expand their workflow, add more uh, transcribers to train. Um, If they're having trouble training their team, then they can come and talk to our team and we give them as much advice as we can. Um, And all of that helps really build within the company. But yes, we are branching out now and offering those services to other um, businesses, other nonprofits who really want to accomplish some goals and are just kind of stuck with, they're not quite sure how to reach those goals without some guidance from some people that have experience with um, workflow management and things like that. So so you have holacracy. Um, yes, I've known of. I know for those who don't know, in the United States, uh, one of the biggest companies that got bought out that used this method was Zappos. Uh, yeah, shoot, salesman of Amazon, and mm-hmm. out there in Las Vegas, they got a whole series of businesses of it. But I haven't heard actually outside of that those circles, those really high tech circles. I haven't actually heard anyone use that before. It would sound well, like it's an ideal idea of business, but it yes, sounds like it, it would be really tough too. It is tough, and it's a very tough transition because um, at first everybody's kind of scrambling, well, who has the authority to make this decision? How does this work? Um, What's the process that it actually goes through? Because governance isn't just, you know, everyone has to uh, agree unanimously or everyone or one person has to make the decision for everybody. It's really about making sure that everyone gets their say and then whoever is the best person to make that decision makes that decision, but then they're also responsible for the outcome of it. So it, it just really helps us to define our responsibilities as God. And I think that's uh, it's important. And so the last part I'm going to ask about is that also that you identify as pagan. I, um, go ahead. I do identify as pagan partially. What I would clarify with that is that I don't actually believe in God as a, you know, an actual being, but I do believe that we are all connected through some kind of divine energy and that it's important that we honor each other. More, more of a pan, uh, what you call panism or omniism, which is, means there's yes. God and everything. Yes, but, exactly. And I think that, so I think that's very important for people. I think this idea of holacracy would work for a lot of different groups, but I know that a lot of groups, you know, d- depending on where they are in the faith space, and, and paganism is a tremendous spectrum. People try to compare paganism to the word Christianity. And they go, oh, no, we're much wider on incorporating a lot of different faiths. Um, but I do know that, that one of the biggest things you see is, it's, is that traditional uh, pagan faiths are very hierarchical for the biggest part. Yes, but I, when I it comes have noticed to, that. Yeah, they are. And it is. Yes. It's, it's an almost built in because you're a high priest and high priestess and, or you're, um, you know, a heathen leader and things of that nature. 
But exactly. I think they make a big mistake. And I think one of the reasons I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful to talk to you is when they go in to get into business, they tend to drag, especially when they try to open their metaphysical shops or their incense businesses. And I've been very grateful to have a variety of businesses this time to listen to um, jewelry makers. And now yourself, you're really different in the sense of that you're, you've got a very mainstream, very centralized business. But you're bringing yeah. an ideal of this sort of equality into it. Yes, um, absolutely. It's tribal for me. And you would think that more businesses by pagan people would be more tribal, but they—I don't think they haven't understood. I don't think most people have even heard of the word or the idea of it, much less practice it. Um, so somebody who's hearing it the first time, where would they go get? Do you have any idea how would they find out how to how to run their businesses more in this tribal way? Or any suggestions for them? Absolutely. Well, one, they can absolutely contact us. We're um, constantly expanding our uh, base for the offerings that we have for coaching. Um, but it, 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 there's also other methods to do it. You don't have to go to us. You can go to Holacracy1.com and start there. They have a free introduction to Holacracy. It's about an hour-long training. And you can kind of start learning, how do, I, how do I start this in my own company? How do I bring this in? And you can grow with them. I've already taken two of their courses, and um, I'm really excited about uh, continuing my education with them. Hopefully within the next year or two, I will be able to do their practitional, uh, practi- practical side of it as well as their coaching. So, um, the other good. one it's that I – Go ahead, please. Oh, the other one that I wanted to recommend was uh, Next Paradigm, and you can find them at the hashtag Next Paradigm on Facebook, um, as well as on Instagram, I believe, um, as well. And you can also go to nextparadigm.com, um, and that is ran by uh, a man named Day Sun. He is a Buddhist monk, and he is has been very inspirational to me um, in guiding me in this process as I grow. I met him through Holacracy. Um, and honestly, I, fi- I find his teaching very fascinating, and they've helped me both personally as well as in business. I cannot recommend him enough. That That's terrific. And um, so you guys can go out there and check it. And if they want to contact you directly, why don't you drop um, your favorite way of being contacted? Um, you can hit uh, me up at chris at scofftranscription.com. You can also find me on Instagram at Chris Copeland. Okay. And I know that you do daily or near daily vlogging. Yeah. And I know how much of a commitment that takes. And, and I've, I've watched them. I, I watch them. They're very interesting. They're about a whole series of different subjects, but mostly around this idea of what you, what you're doing to build it. What makes you make, keep your commitment? And if you haven't seen them, you should look, listen to them. What makes you keep your commitment? What gives you the strength to keep that commitment? Cause it's really hard to do daily vlogging like you do. Well, honestly, I have to I just kind of tell you, I mostly just started it to let out kind of out of the things that were building up in my own life. Like, um, it's almost cathartic for me to let out, oh, I'm having this trouble today, and I don't know how to do this, and this is the struggle we're going through. And then realizing that as I thought through it, using the things I've learned through Holacracy, through Next Paradigm, um, I could start solving problems. And then I would talk about solving those problems on air and people would respond to that. They would get something out of it. And that's really what kept me going. I would get questions from people. How do I get into this business? Um, and, and in fact, I've even noticed it. It's honestly kind of weird because I would say I'm 
okay at adulting, but I'm not great at it. You know, I'm just, I'm 35. I'm still kind of struggling to get where I want to be. And yet people are asking me for advice now. And that's a little scary for me, but I try to just help as best as I can. I'm, I'm still getting used to that word adulting. Um, a yes. number of people are <laughs> using it. Um, I'm very fortunate in the, my tradition, the Corellian tradition. We have a lot of people right in, your, in the same age group who are now taking more charge. But as a, as a 30, as you mentioned, 35 years old as a CEO and running these businesses, you have to have a much different outtake of what it is that you want to do for business. Because um, when I was 35 years old, the biggest driver was, and I was just starting to get with that, was numbers, 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 cash, cash, cash. Mm-hmm resources, resources, resources. And I kind of stepped away with that trying to build. And um, it would be years, it would still be a number of years before I would get into building which and other projects were more social enterprise oriented. Um, I didn't start looking at building social structures as, as a way to communicate and be a part of it until, you know, until maybe 25 years ago. I know that sounds like a long time away, but I was in my 40s. I was just reaching my 40s when that happened. But you're already into the social enterprise aspect, aren't you? Already. I am, yes. Yes, I'm heavily and, and into that. For people who don't know what it is, can you give your version of what social enterprise means to you? Sure. What, and this is, I want to just specify, this is just what it means to me. A lot of people have a lot of different definitions. So, But my personal definition is it's a way to start a business that's, one, sustainable, that it will continue going even after you're done with it, and, two, that it um, is done in a way that is fair to everyone, that everyone has a say in it, and that the uh, wealth is distributed equally if there is wealth involved with it, and that decisions are made in an equal way. And the most important and, thing out of that is that it solves a social problem, too. So that's, that's the real conclusion with it, is that you want to pull it back and say, okay, what social problem am I solving here? And how do I do it in a way that incorporates all of the stakeholders in that problem? And what, in your social enterprise, um, are, the, are the problems you're trying to solve? What are the social problems you're trying to solve there? A lot of the pro- problems that we want to solve are equal access to content, especially online content. Um, so that's including podcasts, YouTube channels, um, Twitch live streaming, um, uh, vlog channels, uh, anything that basically, even educational content, anything that needs to be transcribed so that people who are deaf or hard of hearing can understand it in a complete way. That's really what we need. Um, if you try to put on uh, subtitles like the um, auto-generated subtitles on YouTube for literally anything, you you can see just how bad um, those auto-generated subtitles are. And if you're a deaf person, turn off the sound. Even if you're not a deaf person, turn off the sound and see how much you could actually understand of that with the auto-generated closed captions. It just does not compare to human transcription. Hopefully one day it will. That would be great if it did, but right now we're not there. Oh, I I, I fully understand that because we just, as uh, the world knows, which will just wonder when its first major revision after almost twenty uh, almost twenty years old, the old code just started to really break down. Um, we're up and running. We just got there, and we have our videos, and we have a lot of our our deaf members who can read the lessons. 
but the videos don't follow the lesson per se. There's more information in them. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we don't have, and we haven't really used auto transcriptions for the reason said, because they don't adapt well to the faith language. I find that they're, especially the auto versions, just have a really rough time with, like the word Serenus or the sort of different types of deity names or just basic ideas that are inside the faith-based language. Those automatics don't. But it, we've taken some look at it, and I'm not pointing everybody at you, but um, we've talked about having to put uh, real captions under it for our deaf uh, communications. We've really done well with our visually impaired about getting them ways to hear it. Um, we've done okay getting some of the language out, but but this is one of those hard things because it's it can be pricey, right, to get this, or is it? Oh yes, uh, it can. And you know, we. we Go ahead. Well, and, and it can be very pricey. Um, some of our rates can be as high as $4 an audio minute. And, um, but it, you breaking that down, that actually makes an, a, a decent wage for the person on the end doing the typing, which is our goal. Um, but we also don't want to overburden our companies with that either. So we do start incorporating some different technology. Um, we can do uh, auto-generated transcripts that are then human-edited afterwards, and that does help bring down the cost. It's not completely perfect, but it does get a better accuracy, way better accuracy than the auto-generated. Auto-generated runs at about 80% accuracy, and with our method of having the machine generate the transcript and then us go back and edit it, that gets it about a 97% accuracy. Of course, 100% human-transcribed, tra- um, content would be at, at least at a 99% accuracy. Wow. And I do know, yeah. let me tell you, to be honest with the auto, I don't think they're even that accurate for us. Uh, we've tried it. It, it just, they butcher the language. Hmm? Yes. Yes. And, and that's the big thing is the jargon specific things. It, and it's not just in the faith-based it's, it's literally in every industry. There are certain words that you're not going to find anywhere else and you need to have someone who is capable of looking that information up or even better yet already knows about it a lot of times we keep on staff experts in certain fields um and we even have experts that uh know how to do christian sermons very well we also have pagans on our staff so they're people that already are familiar with that content so there's a lot of youtubers out there and there's a lot of people who are producing it what is the value? I mean, they're going to hear that and go, oh, yeah, it's just another added expense or, oh, the autocorrective is not great. It's going to be there. But what is the real value of reaching out and doing these uh, captions for, for the, not just, I think, for the deaf people or the hard to hear, but I think there's a value to that. You know, can you I think a it's bit to, that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's uh, to avoid legal trouble would be my first um, caution with that. Harvard and MIT have already gotten sued for not having closed captions done by human transcribers. And I would just say if you're making enough to pay for that additional expense, protect yourself first, for one. Secondly, it's just the right thing to do. If you have... um, people in your audience that want to hear from you that are deaf and can't because you haven't gotten that content properly transcribed, that's really going to hurt your image. 
So when we offer our human transcription to people, we also offer a certified human transcription badge that you can post with your YouTube video, with your vlog, with your content that shows, yes, some human went through this and made sure that you could understand it. You, my deaf viewer, can hear this content without having to hear. That makes sense. And I know from a, I'm a social media guy, I do know that I read a lot of uh, videos. What do I mean by that? They come on my Facebook or my Instagram TV, and I won't turn up the sound. I'm on the bus or I'm in a noisy environment or don't want to disturb the people around me. I'll end up sitting there watching the video and reading it, you know, the subtitle, you know, the captions myself a lot of times. And, oh, yeah. Um, you, and I can see the ones that auto uh, do it by auto tend to tend to turn away from them because they start screwing up the words. I'm like, I can't be bothered with them. Um, now, to say that, not to say we don't we don't do any captioning right now because of that, but it's an interesting thing. So. There's a benefit of this sort of idea of social media world where people also just read videos for a better way of phrasing it. Yeah, basically, that's kind of what I do. You know, I'm the same way. I, I ride on the bus a lot here in the Netherlands. And um, even when I'm just sitting in my apartment alone, I don't want to really, you know, have things up loud and disturb my neighbors. So I will put on the closed captionings um, and just, you know, watch through that. But yeah, you can immediately tell the ones that just have bad or auto-generated transcription. And uh, that's a that's an issue for people that are watching it. It's going to lose them, not just deaf viewers, but also viewers who can hear, who just prefer not to hear. I would say that about at least two-thirds of the videos I watch any given day, um, I would probably read the captions more than I listen to them. It takes a lot for me to actually... It takes a lot for me to actually push a button and to listen and to want to spend that extra, I guess, mental energy to listen. Um, but I'm a natural reader. One of the things I do is I love reader. Um, I've also been advocating a concept that I've been telling people. Um, people, there's a lot of people who say they can't write, but they talk. And I've been talking about to a lot of people about how to generate one of their first books. And mm -hmm. what I'm telling them is that really figure out, handwrite it. You know, kind of you know, get your concepts out and then just kind of say it into an uh, audio file and then having it transcribed. And I explained to people, it only takes, at the average person's speech, it only takes like 10 hours to put out like a 50,000 to 80,000 word book of actual reading. And then even if at $4 a minute, that would be still under $3,000, $4,000 <laughs> to get it completely transcribed for people who have had a difficult time writing books. Am I really off base on telling people to do that? I don't think so at all. I think that, you know, 3000 yeah, it's still a lot of money. I, I would say that's not a small chunk of change, but over time, and that's the key word there, over time, it is affordable for most people. Um, you can make arrangements with a transcription company that you're going to send them so many minutes or so many pages of handwritten notes to transcribe every month and then slowly build your book over time. Yeah, it may take you three to six years to pay for it all instead of, you know, getting it all done at once. But that option is available. You don't have to continue just letting those ideas sit in your head and never get voice to the world. And, and this is true of podcasts because you do podcasters. I know. So I'm a big fan of somebody by the name of Gary Vee. If you haven't heard of him, he's a big advocate for putting out lots of content. 
And one of his big things is that he says, you speak it, you know, take a video, turn it into a podcast. And he says, turn that podcast into a blog. And, you know, that, you know, that sort of thing. And then it sounds like your type of company would be really good for helping people uh, take parts of their podcast that they thought was really good. You know, have a good, great interview with somebody. You could turn that into a, a, a blog pretty easily. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, in that aspect. Mm-hmm. So for and we actually have – oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, please. Oh, no, please, actually, I'm very interested in this. We actually do have someone on staff that can help with making those videos too. Um, if you want to release some additional content that is from that original airing and you know rework it in a different way, add um, a video aspect to it, we can help with that. We have an amazing um, video editor on staff whose name is Kai. Um, he's made our own videos, and you've probably seen those on uh, Facebook. They've been floating around for a little while. Um, and he's just he's awesome at it. I cannot recommend him enough, and we're happy to, to send that work over to him. So um, if anyone wants to get that done, we can help with that. I think that's a, a really good, great thing. And you might be seeing some from my direction because I've been doing um, – I'm not only doing audio, I've been doing um, – interviews with across the community at the end of the year. People know my goal here is to get really a good look at the community at different levels. I'm trying to show the whole community and I'm collecting all these interviews and I'm like, oh my gosh. And one of the people says, oh, are you going to turn them in transcripts? I mean, I literally last week, so he says, well, are you going to have these out in written form? I go, I don't think so. But this really takes me back and say, okay, maybe I will because they're saying at the end of the year, I'm going to have, hopefully, I most people don't know it. I have over 500, 600 interviews with Pagan Leadership. This is the 3,111 show of the Pagan Tonight Radio Network. Um, and so I've literally gotten, you know, I have all these sort of transcripts. And, and this sounds like for the first time, actually, this is opening my eyes a little bit to the possibility for, for this way of producing content. And you point out that you're really into about the idea of changing the way we communicate a little bit about the lifestyle, how we see our businesses. Um, can you can you tell me a little bit of your philosophy of where you think you'd like to see if you were in a perfect world? If you were queen of the world, where would you like business to go? Where would you like to see it go? Well, if I was queen of the world, I would immediately say that no one was queen of the world, and we need to start working on our problems together because I can't handle this. Hello. Um, (laughs) um, But uh, I think my philosophy has really kind of evolved over the years. I didn't start out being, you know, what I would consider a good person. Um, I I, having the life I had growing up kind of hardened me a lot to the world and hardened me, hardened my heart to people um, to the point where I would I actually had a policy DTA. Don't trust anybody. Everybody will mess you up. Um, And it took a long time, especially coming out of that divorce, to realize that, wow, the world is not actually like that. That is just the particular culture, that particular microcosm that I grew up in, and the rest of the world does not completely act that way. There are good people out there. And I started kind of almost studying good people. I would meet good people over the years, and um, the biggest things that I realized that I wanted uh, for myself was uh, two roles. And it's the same two roles that I use in my classroom and it's be kind and be honest. Um, And that's what I try to do in all of my friendships, all of my relationships as well. I've not ever been perfect at it, far from it, but 
I do try to own up to my mistakes when I make them and um, just do better next time and try to repair any damage that I did. And, and, and it's interesting because you talk about holacracy and being more equal with people. But yet, in the example I used, I used a very hierarchical example um, of how to how to get more information from you. It's very fascinating because it's really hard because you're a person who not only understands language, you've come, you're, you're learning mastery of it at a very high level. I have no doubt. Hmm? Yeah, you because know, you're yeah. probably seeing all sorts of ways people communicate, and it, it must be. So, how do we get? what would be a step to try to take us away from that very hierarchical language in our businesses? I mean, the shop owner sitting there and then I've seen this over and over again. I've been on the other end of this where the shop owner says, we're going to do it my way. And I go, okay, you're paying me. I do it my way. I'll do it your way. But, but listen, I'm here with the customers all day. I'm observing this thing. And what you're asking me to do is really bad for the customers. because they don't like it. Right. And he goes, no, no, no. I know better than you. I see the books. I see this. And they don't – I've had a lot of shopkeepers who don't spend their day in the shop. They are out there doing – some of them doing the right thing, business development. Some of them are at the racetracks. Yes, I had a boss who spent most of their time at the racetracks during the day. Yeah, there's a liquor store. And, yeah, that was a very interesting life. But then they would come in and didn't like how things are. So it's very hard for a lot of clerks or a lot of employees. And then, then they get into their businesses, and they go, I can do better than that. Having more emotion – and a desire for their creativity than business logic. And then they're in trouble a year later, not understanding business, mm-hmm. being very creative, making beautiful shops. They're not really understanding business enough. And they end up collapsing. I see this over and over again, where a very harsh boss leads people into making these very emotional, very creative decisions that they could do better and then collapse under it because they don't understand enough about business. They do understand enough about where they think their creativity should go. How can we get people past that? Hmm? Ooh, that's, so um, that's, better at all. yeah, that's a, a difficult question because I think there's a lot of aspects to it. Um, mm-hmm. as far as the, the boss in the situation, um, they're going to have to learn to be humble to learn that they're not perfect. They don't know everything. That was, um, a hard thing. And I think that's a, a hard thing for people to learn in general, not just bosses, but us as individuals that we're, we don't know everything and that other people may have better advice for us than we have for ourselves. Um, and I think it's really important to just admit when you are not the person that should be doing this. Um, I know that I am not a detail oriented person. Um, so I should not be the one that's running the workflow in our company. Uh, that is not where my strength lies. So um, that's the first thing is if you are the boss in the situation, humble yourself um, before your people, because it's your people on the front line. They're the ones that are seeing those customers every single day. Um, And then as far as people who are um, working in that type of environment, um, if at all possible, you know, you want to try to change the environment, but you're going to have to do so in a way that sees your boss's point of view. This is what they've been told all their life is how business works. This is their culture. This is what they were raised with. And you've got to do it in a way that respects where they came from, while at the same time offering up alternatives. Hey, I read about this thing that Zappos did, and it really took off for them, and it it really changed the core of their their culture. And I think it can help us with some of the issues that I've been seeing within our own organization. 
and just try to take it to them like that. Um, it is a slow process and it's done over time. Honestly, I'm not a, a person that really likes to work within broken systems. So um, mm -hmm. my alternative was to step out of those kinds of systems and restart um, under a, a system that's more equal. Uh, if you if you can do that, if you have the, the opportunity to do that as well, and you can do it slowly over time. I didn't just jump out of um, the the things that I, were, I was doing as far as a regular employee teaching um, English or teaching uh, general education in America. I slowly transferred to where um, my business was supporting me and my money was making money for me. But that took seven years. That took a long time, and it took a lot of hard work. Um, I was working 80 hours a week at certain points doing this. Um, that would be the, the, the option that you also have. Whether I mean, that's whether you're a boss or whether you're an employee. If you want to revamp your organization and you can't do it in your current structure, I already owned a company like that. I owned a company called Elite Transcription before that that was a top-down corporate structure. I kept seeing issues with it, kept seeing issues with it. And finally, I just got to the point where I need something different. And the guy I was dating at the time was a business coach himself and uh, did a lot of things with Agile. Um, and he, he came across an article about holacracy and he said, I think this is what you're looking for. And I um, read the article. I watched a few videos on it. And I'm like, yeah, this, this will solve my problem. Um, it will take time, but it will solve my problem. And so we started uh, revamping the business to Scott. And, 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 and here you are now. Um, for people yeah. who are looking for another person who's uh, listening, so after you heard this, you can go back to Reiki Magic with Sherry Meyer, where she's now working really hard to make that final transition with her company. So you can hear a little bit about that struggle, too. So she, yeah, she has some great advice for that as well. Um, awesome. We've been having a really lot of great advice as people who have made these sort of transitions. And what you're talking about is take a lot of patience. Um, I think yes. people want to rush. One of the things I keep hearing is they want to rush into it. Um, uh, I get a lot of people. So my traditions, and I work a lot now on my tradition. Um, I actually just had a business fail. I mean, just dramatically fail on me. And anytime you're in business, you can dramatically fail at any time if you don't actually know all the resources. And, yes, I've been and, there too. Yeah. Um, and uh, everybody knows Nature Little Recycle is my company, and uh, we're going to get back into a year. I'm taking out a year to spend kind of exploring my this, this passion I have for the community and I'm learning about it. But I do know that, that the, again and again, when I say this, it says you overestimate what you can do in a year and underestimate what you can do in a decade, you know, Tony Robbins, and you don't have a clue what you can do in 25 years. And everybody groans at me about that and go, what do you, you know, that it's, when I hear the ideas, it's great. You've got a great idea. It's going to take you a couple of years. I go, what do you mean a couple of years? Oh, maybe five, ten years. You know, what are you going to do for the first year? And they always look at me and go, oh, no, no, no. I'm going to make a million dollars at the end of the first year. I think this is going to blow up. You know? And I go, really? How? And then they start telling me the different, you know, that the market's ready for it and these sort of things. And I go, okay, but can you do it for ten years? Yeah. Or is this something you want to do for 10 years? And go, oh, no, I'm thinking about selling it in a couple of years. And they don't realize that that desire for speed is going to kill them. They're not, they're not really yeah. serious that they want that speed. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah, so, absolutely. 
I mean, it sounds like so it took you seven years to transition into this. How long have you been at it with uh, your current uh, company? Well, uh, Elite started out seven years ago, and we have transferred over to Scoth since uh, December of 2018. And mm-hmm. so I have um, uh, taken a lot of time to build up to where I am. And um, honestly, I just started out to make some extra money to buy books for my classroom because our, our school was um, not financially well off. Uh, most of our children were in poverty. Most of our children were uh, learning English as a second language. And um, my kids needed books. So I actually took a second job to pay for my first job. Um, and then I realized I could make a lot more money at my second job. And maybe even solve some of the problems I saw with my first job over time. So I would say uh, you need to start out slowly. You need to do what you can because I did not start out slowly. I went hardcore into um, working way too much to try to put back as much money as I could to invest more and more and more. And I ended up crashing and burning. Not just like um, the business itself at that time crashed and burned trying to build it way too fast, but uh, the, I also crashed and burned personally and mentally and physically, and it was overwhelming for me. It was incredibly overwhelming. Um, you only have one life to live, so my advice is don't waste it spinning your wheels and trying to push into something that needs time to build. That makes sense um, to a lot of degrees. So, so get like two really uh, to that. Um, I've gotten scorched on this already, so folks, I'm ready to do this. Um, as a young woman in business, do you find it difficult to be a young woman in business, be taken seriously? Because um, I've mentioned before that I see a lot of young women who are taken on, who, who I see their personalities change a little bit when they get into business. They feel like they have to be harder or meaner yeah. or and defend their territory a lot more. Do you find that to be true for yourself? I mean, especially with this idea of holacracy. Um, I, I do and I don't. Within the company, I don't. Um, mm-hmm. the, the people within our company all follow holacracy, so there's not really a, a gender divide or anything like that. Um, plus, since I, I, my name is on the paperwork and I am a woman, um, they would also mm-hmm. know that that would not be a, a welcome thing in our culture. Um, women are empowered in our company, and men are too, just as equally. Um, and as far as outside of that, dealing with um, potential clients or um, interacting with business to business, I would say I've seen some of it, but it has gotten a lot better in the past um, five years or so. A lot better, pretty pretty much since the Me Too movement. Um, I have felt that that's uh, made men pay attention. And I think that's really important for men, especially in this day and age with, with, you know, it's 2000 current year. Um, there are things that are expected as far as equality in the workplace. And I feel like um, holding men accountable to that has uh, really helped them to understand that, whoa, okay, that's not an acceptable thing to do in the workplace and, or at all ever. Um, and and they, that starts changing. So, Yeah. Um, I would say it's getting okay. better, much better. Oh, I will say that I do see a difference because, like I said, one of the things I deal with is is not to be ageist, 
it's one of my very hard things because um, I point out to everybody. Um, I'm very fortunate in that one of the things I believe in is education. Um, I took a very controversial look at the world uh, more than 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and I decided my faith was great faith, and that was that only helped me. That would help other people, and I I took it really out of the closet. I mean, eventually I started as you know, which goal, which you're on, mm-hmm. and uh, you yeah. mentioned that you've been a member on and off, and I want to thank you for that. Um, and that basically I wanted to make education much more accessible, and that was very hard. And but what has happened is the benefit of that, and the difficulty that I raise sometimes is ageism. Like now I've been mm-hmm. at it for a very fairly long time, still got a long career ahead of me, but more than 20 years and people who started these courses like 20 years ago have now major members of my tradition, but they're there. I always say, well, wow, you guys are just getting started. I was your age when I got started and they're like already deep into the hierarchy. They're already deep into tr- training and everything. Mm-hmm. And so I find it very interesting that I have, I don't have a, a problem dealing with women or men or anything else. I do have a little bit of ageism, like, Listen to me. I find myself turning into my elders uh, every once in a while. Mm-hmm. So, and, um, I, go ahead. Okay, say. So, do you have any yeah. you know, opinion on on that aspect of it within the, when this idea of the holography or what you're dealing with? Well, I have a, a clarification question here. Do you mean that you feel like you might be ages towards those who are younger than you or older than you? Oh, both. Both. Okay. And it goes both ways. Uh, it's gone both ways. With like elders, uh, um, you know, people know I'm working with Oberon Zell, for example, and some of the older elders, which are like 15, about 15 years older on the average. Uh, Oberon Zell is, you know, 77, just turned 77. I'm dealing with a lot of elders that are just hitting like their 70s, and they just dislike the idea of the internet or keeping up with it. But they want a legacy, so you have to, you know, you have to start creating a new legacy. Because they're used to the idea of books and teaching, and I've been teaching them attention. But equally so, I'm looking around, and, and oh, my God, there's TikTok, and they're using Snapchat. I'm going, why are you using that stuff? Well, we have perfectly good systems. So I find myself yelling at the older people first. <laughs> they're like, no, you know, you have to come and try to work with us a little bit. And then you look at the younger people, and I'm like, I'm an Xer, so I'm caught between millennials and boomers. So, um and they go back to that and go like, well, no, this is not the best way of doing it. But it's their way of doing it. And I have had really to watch and sit down and accept that they're doing it their way. So I find it in both directions. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, I think my advice on that would be to try to find as many ways of getting the information out as possible. Why settle for just TikTok, just Snapchat? Like, And I think you've actually done um, a short blog on this before, too. Use multiple channels to get your message out. And um, it's fine to put it in old school book and paper format, but you're going to limit yourself greatly if that's the only way you do it. You have to be on board with technology these days or you're not going to get that younger generation to fall. And, and, and that's a problem that's happening across uh, religions all over the world. We are not reaching the younger generation, so they're going to fall away from anything spiritual. They're going to start turning away from that. And the, the thing with that is while it's fine to, to not be spiritual, there's a lot of benefits that they can have from having some form of spirituality in their life. And um, if you don't want them to miss out on that benefit, you have to find a way to reach those kids. 
I agree. And as everybody knows, I've carried um, it through. I, I talk. I do talk about. I was one list. I was, you know, my one list, which became eGroups, which became Yahoo Groups. We moved on to. Uh, we were one of the first YouTubers. Most people don't know, realize. Yeah, Magic TV was like one of the very mm-hmm. first YouTube channels to deal with this material. And we saw that. I like, remember watching count. them. Still, <laughs> yeah, yeah, 2006, February 2006. It was in their first year. It was a big benefit to us. We, you know, we've done podcasts. This podcast is over 10 years old. We've done radio. So I'm a big advocate of using the technology of today. And in today's technology, and that's a hard thing for everyone to understand, is I'm not marketing to yesterday's technology, nor am I trying to get ahead of myself too much. I mean, I love the idea of VR. I want to build VR stuff, but we're not there yet. So I'm a big believer in today's technology. And and so are you. And then I've noticed that one of the things you've done really well is that, like I said, you, you do you're on Instagram, you're on various spaces. So thank you, you know, thank you for noticing that, and I appreciate that. So one last thing, and then I think that I think that I've got, and I think that I think you've you've brought us through a lot of information, and I think you've introduced an idea that I don't think people have heard much about: the idea of holacracy and how to mm-hmm. kind of dealing with it. Um. So and the idea that the value of getting some of these professional services. So I'm, I'm a new podcaster. I'm a new blogger. I'm a new YouTuber. How would I go ahead? So what would you, so just a real way, how would I go ahead and get into a space where I can go ahead and communicate better? What would I need to do to, to be able to reach out to that hard to hear community? You know, you talk about the captions, what would I need to do? How, what could I expect? What should be the path I should take? I think you need to talk to those people. Um, the, you, whoever your audience is, find people who are in that age range, that uh, that socioeconomic structure. Um, find people who are interested in what you have to say and ask them about what they want to hear. Um, and then with that, also always speak from you know your own personal place of truth. Um, I wasn't at the beginning like looking to please an audience here. I just happened to start building an audience. Um, slowly over time um, and, and it's still a small audience I have a very niche audience it's not you know a, a huge amount of followers it's only about 5,000 followers and that's really small um, so mine's still growing too but I started just speaking about what I was going through and just being honest with where I was and I made mistakes constantly I, I still make mistakes constantly um, but just keep getting your message out there and make sure it's your truth and make sure that you start connecting with those people that connect with you. If you have people commenting on your things, comment back, build that following, build those connections, because those are going to be your first people that are, you know, the head of your fan club, the ones that are running, that are moderating for your channel, the ones that are running your discord. You can build that slowly over time. Those are just the first steps. Connect with those people. And find as many ways as you can to connect with them. And uh, I'm so glad you connected with us today. So one last time, how can people get a hold of you? Now they've listened through, they, they're now excited, they're interested. How can people get a hold of you? Or what's the best way to communicate with you? Uh, you can connect with uh, us through Scoth at scothtranscription.com. You can send me an email at chris at scothtranscription.com. Our Instagram is at scothcompany. So is our Twitter and our Facebook is uh, facebook.com forward slash Scoth transcription. So whatever way you use to communicate, we probably are communicating that way too. And, um, and I thank you. So any last thoughts? Um, 
Have we covered it? Uh, well, I, I was yeah, I think we've covered it. The, my only last thoughts would be that uh, a couple, two things. Um, one, um, you know, my, our goal with with Scoth is to make sure that content is accessible to everybody in an affordable way. So if if people are struggling to figure out how to pay for this, reach out. There are ways to finance it. There are ways to get this on. We don't want money to ever be the reason that you can't succeed. So we're here to work with small business. We're here to work with startups. We're here to work with nonprofits. Um, And then secondly, just a little bit of a fangirl kind of thing. I remember being like 18, 19, 20 years old and um, starting to, you know, starting into uh, witch school and all of this. And, and, and then hearing you and Reverend Dawn on uh, magic TV and everything that was just, so that's a kind of like a cool thing for me. I just kind of want to put that out there that, yeah, I've been watching you for a long time. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. Um, um, you know, and I, I can understand. I'm a big, I'm still a big fanboy for a lot of this myself, and I think there's a certain passion for it. I appreciate that, and I'm, I'm going to want to have you back on. I think you, you're going to start a conversation. I think that, um, that's been lying in the background. As I'm traveling around this year, people have been asking me about different models, and I have not actually heard too much. I, so I've really seen holacracy, and I'll be honest, you've, you've, you've really opened up a little bit of my eyes on this holacracy because I've always kind of felt it. I'll be honest, I felt it was like a tech thing. You know, like it's like the big tech thing. It's like you actually have to have a lot of money and a lot of energy behind it. But obviously, while you're doing very well with your business and you've earned it right, it isn't like you're a super big tech company. You're not a Zappos right now. You're not an Amazon, no. where I always think about those things. Um, I hope you do get that big, but uh, as big as you'd like to be. But I think you've really opened my eyes on this idea that um, I'm hoping to have you guys on. I hope you have you on more again. Um, Love so, so you got it. You guys, get, folks, you've got the information. And, um, you know, uh, so thank you. And uh, thank you for being part of this. And um, so next up, we're going to have a special report about Patrick McCollum coming in. It is so cool. And uh Today we've been in the Netherlands, uh, and we're going to be interviewing more business leaders, including Bridget's Head Montana, Bridget's Closet, and so many more. But this has been a very special show. So thank you, Chris, for being on. Thank you so much, and, Ed. I've um, had a lot of fun. And uh, there it is. And for the conversation, we're going to end the show with music. Uh, the, our music piece is Cecilia, which is Listen. Blessed be.
Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Pagans Tonight Radio Network, the voice of the pagan world. Pagans Tonight is sponsored by Witchschool.com, your anyone, anytime, anywhere magical education. And good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you're at in the world today. And it could be any one of uh, a series of nations, as you as you know. And tonight, we're going to reach out across the ocean uh, from my usual spaces to the Netherlands to speak with Chris Copeland. But first, I want to make a mention. Um, I want to thank everybody who's continued to keep us in the top-notch levels of being in the podcast world. I'm always very, uh, very flattered and very and very grateful that we do so. Um, I'm going to be doing a very special show here soon uh, with Patrick McCollum about the messenger, uh, about his nomination by Dr. Jane Goodall of being uh, made a messenger for being nominated for a messenger of the United Nations. A huge honor. I know a lot of people just don't know what that means. And so I'm, I'm very, for me, it's very kind of one of those important moments that people have in their lives in our community. And I think that's one of them. Um, I also want to make out an announcement that um, the secret art of witch wars, my book that I've been working on updating um, is going to be having an Indiegogo campaign within the next couple of hours, maybe today or tomorrow we'll be starting that. So you can pre-order because it'll be available in May and I will be teaching a course of it in Salem in April. More announcements on that later. But one of the great things I want to talk about right now is uh, we've been talking about business all week, and you've had uh, uh, Sandra Maria Wright of um, uh, Gallows Hill Jewelry, and she does her own psychic fairs, and of course, of Salem fame. I, I thought, and to answer the, one of the questions out there, yes, she's a very athletic person, yes, and I was really appreciative of it. But today we're going to be talking to Chris Copeland, a teacher, vlogger, and you, if you got on her personal page, she vlogs almost every day, I think every day. And she talks about a lot of different things, but mostly she's Scos. I think it's Scos Transcriptions dot com. She's deep into communication. Um, she's originally she is from the United States, Texas particularly, and Texas is looming large in our world. Um, and uh, so she has a lot of interesting stories, but mostly she's been doing a lot in communication. So we're going to talk to her about business communication and, of course, her faith. Hi, Chris. Are you there? I am. Thank you, Ed. And um, Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. Awesome. Um, so, yeah. So, well, thank you for joining us um, uh, and uh, taking some time out from your day. So, so right now, um, I mentioned it's just transcriptions. Yes, and just and, a quick uh, correction is um, scoff transcription with a short O sound. Ah. All right, guys, you can take a shot every. It's really, <laughs> really in the morning, so take it easy. You can take a shot every time I blow that one. Um, there's a whole drinking game associated with this show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is. I'm not kidding. It's been a very long time. People have made fun of uh, my mis- uh, enunciations for years. It keeps me on my toes. <laughs> um, no problem. So one of the things I think you um, I, you've got a couple of interesting aspects into it. But first, how did you get? How do? You, how does it, uh, a young Texas woman go from the United States to owning her own business in the Netherlands of all places? 
Oh, well, that's a, that's a very long story, but um, to kind of just make it a little shorter, uh, I grew up in a pretty impoverished part of uh, Texas, and um, I actually ended up getting pregnant at 18. And I really struggled to get through uh, to get my degree and get out of poverty while raising a kid. Um, and then once I got my degree, it was still just kind of the same thing. Like I was still just struggling to make ends meet. And um, uh, I went through a lot of things. I went through a divorce. I went through uh, recovery financially because after I started a business and started making good money, I lost all my money during the divorce and had to rebuild everything. So um, part of the rebuild has been moving to the Netherlands. And that was kind of almost an accident. I, I, it was actually, I was supposed to go here for vacation and I ended up falling in love with the place and I'm with someone here now. Um, so on top of my health issues, it just, it makes more sense for me to be here. That makes sense. And so as a businesswoman, you, you decided to start your own business and, um, and it became communication transcriptions. Can you describe a little bit of what Scoth Transcriptions does? Uh, yes, I can describe what Scoth does. Everyone else take a drink now. Yeah, they would. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, uh, basically, um, what, um, I'm sorry, can you repeat the question again? What what do you do? What is it that your company does? Oh, as far as, okay. So we have, what does it have? What, uh, well, basically what we do is uh, transcription work, which has a lot of different categories. Um, one of the things we do is uh, transcribe for um, a company that records congressional hearings. So we um, listen to Senate hearings. We listen to press conferences. We listen to uh, presidential press conferences as well. And we listen to um, the House of Representatives. That's one of our big clients. But we also do um, education work. Uh, we do legal uh, depositions. And we also do a lot of work with um, uh, small companies that are, you know, like YouTube, YouTube channels. And um, we've even transcribed music videos before. So it's a variety of different content. It's always something new. On top of that, we also do translation. So we have about... Uh, anywhere between 20 and 30 transcribers on our team at any time. And they transcribe in about 10 different languages now. And we always have more people that we work with if there's a language we don't have in, in our in-house. So. Well, that's pretty amazing. And you must be really busy these days because there's a lot of stuff coming out. Uh, um, we are ramping up for the year. So yeah, things are picking up pretty quick. Oh, good. And, um, and so, so that's, that you also do, I know that you mentioned that you do life coaching a bit. Um, yes. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. It was mentioned. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, sure. Um, so a lot of the coaching I do is in-house with um, our team. Each member of our team is actually growing their own business. So we're not a traditional brick-and-mortar company where we have employees. Everyone in SCOF is an equal partner in the company. So everyone has an equal say in how the business is ran, and everyone has their own accountabilities and responsibilities within the organization. We're not a top-down structure uh, like traditional corporate structures. We are a circles model. We uh, have adopted a holacracy as our governance method. And what that means is that 
we have um, a horizontal balance of power and it's not just me at the top making all the decisions and handing that down to people. Honestly, it's uh, not a, a lot of it's not up to me because I'm not the best person to make those decisions. So um, what I do is, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. That's very fascinating. Yeah. um, The, the thing that I do within the business, a lot of it is business coaching. So I'll um, help my people to build out their teams. I will talk to them about how they can um, expand their workflow, add more uh, transcribers to train. Um, If they're having trouble training their team, then they can come and talk to our team and we give them as much advice as we can. Um, And all of that helps really build within the company. But yes, we are branching out now and offering those services to other um, businesses, other nonprofits who really want to accomplish some goals and are just kind of stuck with they're not quite sure how to reach those goals without some guidance from some people that have experience with um, workflow management and things like that. So you so you have I, holacracy. holacracy um, yes. I've known of, I know, for those who don't know, in the United States, uh, one of the biggest companies that got bought out that used this method was Zappos. Uh, yes. The shoot salesman of Amazon. And out mm-hmm. there in Las Vegas, they got a whole series of businesses of it. But I haven't heard actually outside of that those circles, those really high tech circles. I haven't actually heard anyone use that before. It would sound well, like it's an ideal idea of business, but it yes, sounds like it, it would be really tough too. It is tough, and it's a very tough transition because um, at first everybody's kind of scrambling. Well, who has the authority to make this decision? How does this work? Um, what's the process that it actually goes through? Because governance isn't just you know, everyone has to uh, agree unanimously or everyone or one person has to make the decision for everybody. It's really about making sure that everyone gets their say and then whoever is the best person to make that decision makes that decision, but then they're also responsible for the outcome of it. So it it just really helps us to define our responsibilities as God. And I think that's uh, it's important. And so the last part I'm going to ask about is that also that you identify as pagan. Um, Go ahead. I do identify as pagan partially. What I would clarify with that is that I don't actually believe in God as a, you know, an actual being, but I do believe that we are all connected through some kind of divine energy and that it's important that we honor each other. More, more of a panic. Uh, what you call panism or omniism, which is, means there's yes. God and everything. Yes, but, exactly. And I think that, so. I think that's very important for people. I think this idea of holacracy would work for a lot of different groups. But I know that a lot of groups, you know, d- depending on where they are in the faith space, and and paganism is a tremendous spectrum. People try to compare paganism to the word Christianity, and they go, "Oh no, we're much wider umbrella, incorporating a lot of different faiths." Um. But I do know that that one of the biggest things you see is it's is that traditional uh, pagan faiths are very hierarchical for the biggest part. Yes, but I, I have noticed to, that. Yeah, they are, and it is. Yes. It's, it's an almost built in because you're a high priest and high priestess, and or you're um, you know a heathen leader and things of that nature. But exactly. I think they make a big mistake. And I think one of the reasons I'm, I'm I'm really grateful to talk to you is when they go in to get into business. They tend to drag, especially when they try to open their metaphysical shops or their incense businesses, 
And I've been very grateful to have a variety of businesses this time to listen to um, jewelry makers. And now yourself, you're really different in the sense of that you're, you've got a very mainstream, very centralized business. But you're bringing yes. an idea of this sort of equality into it. Yes, um, absolutely. It's tribal for me. And you would think that more businesses by pagan people would be more tribal, but they—I don't think they haven't understood. I don't think most people have even heard of the word or the idea of it, much less practice it. Um, so somebody who's hearing it the first time, where would they go get? Do you have any idea how would they find out how to how to run their businesses more in this tribal way? Or any suggestions for them? Absolutely. Well, one, they can absolutely contact us. We're um, constantly expanding our uh, base for the offerings that we have for coaching. Um, but it, 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 there's also other methods to do it. You don't have to go to us. You can go to Holacracy1.com and start there. They have a free introduction to Holacracy. It's about an hour-long training. And you can kind of start learning, how do, I, how do I start this in my own company? How do I bring this in? And you can grow with them. I've already taken two of their courses, and um, I'm really excited about uh, continuing my education with them. Hopefully within the next year or two, I will be able to do their practitional, uh, practi- practical side of it as well as their coaching. So, um, sounds, the other one sounds... that I – Go ahead, please. Oh, the other one that I wanted to recommend was uh, Next Paradigm, and you can find them at the hashtag Next Paradigm on Facebook, um, as well as on Instagram, I believe, um, as well. And you can also go to nextparadigm.com, um, and that is ran by uh, a man named Day Sun. He is a Buddhist monk, and he is has been very inspirational to me um, in guiding me in this process as I grow. I met him through Holacracy. Um, and honestly, I, fi- I find his teaching very fascinating, and they've helped me both personally as well as in business. I cannot recommend him enough. That That's terrific. And um, so you guys can go out there and check it. And if they want to contact you directly, why don't you drop um, your favorite way of being contacted? Um, you can hit uh, me up at chris at scofftranscription.com. You can also find me on Instagram at Chris Copeland. Okay. And I know that you do daily or near daily vlogging. Yeah. And I know how much of a commitment that takes. And, and I've, I've watched them. I, I watch them. They're very interesting. They're about a whole series of different subjects, but mostly around this idea of what you, what you're doing to build it. What makes you make, keep your commitment? And if you haven't seen them, you should look, listen to them. What makes you keep your commitment? What gives you the strength to keep that commitment? Cause it's really hard to do daily vlogging like you do. Well, honestly, I have to I just kind of tell you, I mostly just started it to let out kind of out of the things that were building up in my own life. Like, um, it's almost cathartic for me to let out, oh, I'm having this trouble today, and I don't know how to do this, and this is the struggle we're going through. And then realizing that as I thought through it, using the things I've learned through Holacracy, through Next Paradigm, um, I could start solving problems. And then I would talk about solving those problems on air and people would respond to that. They would get something out of it. And that's really what kept me going. I would get questions from people. How do I get into this business? Um, and, and in fact, I've even noticed it. It's honestly kind of weird because I would say I'm okay at adulting, but I'm not great at it. You know, I'm just, I'm 35. I'm still kind of struggling to get where I want to be. And yet people are asking me for advice now, and that's a little scary for me, but I try to just help as best as I can. 
I'm, I'm still getting used to that word adulting. Um, a yeah. number of people are <laughs> using it. Um, I'm very fortunate in the, my tradition, the Corellian tradition, we have a lot of people right in, your, in the same age group who are now taking more charge. But as a, as a 30, as you mentioned, 35 years old as a CEO and running these businesses, you have to have a much different outtake of what it is that you want to do for business. Because um, when I was 35 years old, the biggest driver was, and I was just starting to get with that, was numbers, 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 cash, cash, cash. Mm-hmm resources, resources, resources. And I kind of stepped away with that trying to build. And um, it would be years, it would still be a number of years before I would get into building which and other products were more social enterprise oriented. Um, I didn't start looking at building social structures as, as a way to communicate and be a part of it until, you know, until maybe 25 years ago. I know that sounds like a long time away, but I was in my 40s. I was just reaching my 40s when that happened. But you're already into the social enterprise aspect, aren't you? Already. I am, yes. Yes, I'm heavily and, and into that. For people who don't know what it is, can you give your version of what social enterprise means to you? Sure. What, and this is, I want to just specify, this is just what it means to me. A lot of people have a lot of different definitions. So, But my personal definition is it's a way to start a business that's, one, sustainable, that it will continue going even after you're done with it, and, two, that it um, is done in a way that is fair to everyone, that everyone has a say in it, and that the uh, wealth is distributed equally if there is wealth involved with it, and that decisions are made in an equal way. And the most important and, thing out of that is that it solves a social problem, too. So that's, that's the real conclusion with it, is that you want to pull it back and say, okay, what social problem am I solving here? And how do I do it in a way that incorporates all of the stakeholders in that problem? And what, in your social enterprise, um, are, the, are the problems you're trying to solve? What are the social problems you're trying to solve there? A lot of the pro- problems that we want to solve are equal access to content, especially online content. Um, so that's including podcasts, YouTube channels, um, Twitch live streaming, um, uh, vlog channels, uh, anything that basically, even educational content, anything that needs to be transcribed so that people who are deaf or hard of hearing can understand it in a complete way. That's really what we need. Um, if you try to put on uh, subtitles like the um, auto-generated subtitles on YouTube for literally anything, you'll, you can see just how bad um, those auto-generated subtitles are. And if you're a deaf person, turn off the sound. Even if you're not a deaf person, turn off the sound and see how much you could actually understand of that with the auto-generated closed captions. It just does not compare to human transcription. Hopefully one day it will. That would be great if it did, but right now we're not there. Oh, I I, I fully understand that because we just, as uh, the world knows, which will just wonder when its first major revision after almost twenty uh, almost twenty years old, the old code just started to really break down. Um, we're up and running. We just got there, and we have our videos, and we have a lot of our our deaf members who can read the lessons. But the videos don't follow the lessons per se. There's more information in them. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we don't have, and we haven't really used auto transcriptions for the reason you said, because they don't adapt well to the faith language. I find that they're, especially the auto versions, just have a really rough time with 
like the word Serninus or the sort of different types of deity names or just basic ideas that are inside the faith-based language, those automatics don't. But it, we've taken some look at it, and I'm not pointing everybody at you, but um, we've talked about having to put uh, real captions under it for our deaf uh, communications. We've really done well with our visually impaired about getting them ways to hear it. Um, we've done okay getting some of the language out, but but this is one of those hard things because it's it can be pricey, right, to get this, or is it? Oh you know, yes, it can. And you know, we, we, we go ahead. Well, and, and it can be very pricey. Um, some of our rates can be as high as four dollars an audio minute, and um, but it, you breaking that down that actually makes an, a, a decent wage for the person on the end doing the typing, which is our goal. Um, but we also don't want to overburden our companies with that either. So we do start incorporating some different technology. Um, we can do uh, auto-generated transcripts that are then human-edited afterwards, and that does help bring down the cost. It's not completely perfect, but it does get a better accuracy, way better accuracy than the auto-generated. Auto-generated runs at about 80% accuracy, and with our method of having the machine generate the transcript and then us go back and edit it, that gets it about a 97% accuracy. Of course, 100% human tra transcribed um, content would be at, at least at a 99% accuracy. Wow, and I do know, yeah. let me tell you, to be honest with the auto, I don't think they're even that accurate for us. Uh, we've tried it, and it just, they butcher the language. Hmm? Yes, yes, and, and that's the big thing, is the jargon-specific things. It, and it's not just in the faith-based, it's, it's literally in every industry, there are certain words that you're not going to find anywhere else, and you need to have someone who is capable of looking that information up, or even better yet, already knows about it. A lot of times we keep on staff experts in certain fields. Um, and we even have experts that uh, know how to do Christian sermons very well. We also have pagans on our staff. So they're people that already are familiar with that content. So there's a lot of YouTubers out there, and there's a lot of people who are producing it. What is the value? I mean, they're going to hear that and go, oh, yeah, it's just another added expense or – Oh, the autocorrective is not great. It's going to be there. But what is the real value of reaching out and doing these uh, captions for, for the, not just, I think, for the deaf people or the hard to hear, but I think there's a value to that. You know, can you I think a it's bit to, that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's uh, to avoid legal trouble would be my first um, caution with that. Harvard and MIT have already gotten sued for not having closed captions done by human transcribers. And I would just say, if you're making enough to pay for that additional expense, protect yourself first, for one. Secondly, it's just the right thing to do. If you have um, people in your audience that want to hear from you that are deaf and can't because you haven't gotten that content properly transcribed, that's really going to hurt your image. So when we offer our human transcription to people, we also offer a certified human transcription badge that you can post with your YouTube video, with your vlog, with your content that shows, yes, some human went through this and made sure that you could understand it. You, my deaf viewer, can hear this content without having to hear. That makes sense. And I know from a, I'm a social media guy, I do know that that I read a lot of uh, videos. What do I mean by that? They come on my Facebook or my Instagram TV, 
and I won't turn up the sound. I'm on the bus, or I'm in a noisy environment, or I don't want to disturb the people around me. I'll end up sitting there watching the video and reading it, you know, the subtitle, you know, the captions myself a lot of times. And, oh, yeah. Um, you, and I can see the ones that auto uh, do it by auto tend to tend to turn away from them because they start screwing up the words. I'm like, I can't be bothered with them. Um, now, to say that, not to say we don't we don't do any captioning right now because of that, but it's an interesting thing. So there's a benefit of this sort of idea of social media world where people also just read videos for a better way of phrasing it. Yeah, basically, that's kind of what I do. You know, I'm the same way. I, I ride on the bus a lot here in the Netherlands. And um, even when I'm just sitting in my apartment alone, I don't want to really, you know, have things up loud and disturb my neighbors. So I will put on the closed captionings um, and just, you know, watch through that. But yeah, you can immediately tell the ones that just have bad or auto-generated transcription. And uh, that's a that's an issue for people that are watching it. It's going to lose them, not just deaf viewers, but also viewers who can hear, who just prefer not to hear. I would say that about at least two-thirds of the videos I watch any given day, um, I would probably read the captions more than I listen to them. It takes a lot for me to actually, it takes a lot for me to actually push a button and to listen and to want to spend that extra, I guess, mental energy to listen. Um, but I'm a natural reader. One of the things I do is a love reader. Um, I've also been advocating a concept. I've been telling people, um, people, there's a lot of people who say they can't write, but they talk. And I've been talking about to a lot of people about how to generate one of their first books. And mm-hmm. what I'm telling them is that really figure out, handwrite it, you know, kind of you know, get your concepts out, and then just kind of say it into an uh, audio file and then having it transcribed. And I explain to people, it only takes, at the average person's speech, it only takes like 10 hours to put out like a 50,000 to 80,000 word book of actual reading. And then even if at $4 a minute, that would be still under $3,000, $4,000 to get it completely transcribed for people who have had a difficult time writing books. Am I really off base on telling people to do that? I don't think so at all. I think that, you know, 3000 yeah, it's still a lot of money. I, I would say that's not a small chunk of change, but over time, and that's the key word there, over time, it is affordable for most people. Um, you can make arrangements with a transcription company that you're going to send them so many minutes or so many pages of handwritten notes to transcribe every month and then slowly build your book over time. Yeah, it may take you three to six years to pay for it all instead of, you know, getting it all done at once. But that option is available. You don't have to continue just letting those ideas sit in your head and never get voice to the world. And, and this is true of podcasts because you do podcasters. I know. So I'm a big fan of somebody by the name of Gary V. If you haven't heard of him, he's a big advocate for putting out lots of content. And one of his big things is that he says, you speak it, you know, take a video, turn it into a podcast, and he says, turn that podcast into a blog, and you know that you know that sort of thing. And then sounds like your type of company would be really good for helping people uh, take parts of their podcast that they thought was really good. You know, you have a good, great interview with somebody, you could turn that into a a, a blog pretty easily. Oh yes, um, absolutely. In that aspect. Mm-hmm. So for and those we actually have. There, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, please. Oh, no, please. Actually, I'm very interested in this. 
we actually do have someone on staff that can help with making those videos too. Um, if you want to release some additional content that is from that original airing and you know rework it in a different way, add um, a video aspect to it, we can help with that. We have an amazing um, video editor on staff whose name is Kai. Um, he's made our own videos and you've probably seen those on uh, Facebook. They've been floating around for a little while. Um, and he's just, he's awesome at it. I cannot recommend him enough and we're happy to, to send that work over to him. So, um, if anyone wants to get that done, we can help with that. I think that's a, a really good, great thing. And you might be seeing some from my direction because I've been doing, um, I'm not only doing audio, I've been doing, um, interviews with the cross community at the end of the year. People know my goal here is to get really a good look at the community at different levels. I'm trying to show the whole community and I'm collecting all these interviews and I'm like, Oh my gosh. And one of the people says, Oh, are you going to turn them in transcripts? I mean, I literally last week, so he says, well, are you going to have this out in written form? I go, I don't think so. But this really takes me back and say, okay, maybe I will, because they're saying at the end of the year, I'm going to have, hopefully I, most people don't know it. I have over 500, 600 interviews with pagan leadership. This is the 3,111 show of the Pagans Tonight Radio Network. Um, and so I've literally gotten, you know, I have all these sort of transcripts. And, and this sounds like for the first time, actually, this is opening my eyes a little bit to the possibility for, for this way of producing content. And you point out that you're really into about the idea of changing the way we communicate a little bit about the lifestyle, how we see our businesses. Um, can you can you tell me a little bit of your philosophy of where you think you'd like to see if you were in a perfect world, if you were queen of the world, where would you like business to go? Where would you like to see it go? Well, if I was queen of the world, I would immediately say that no one was queen of the world and we need to start working on our problems together because I can't handle this. Hello. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, I think my philosophy has really kind of evolved over the years. I didn't start out being, you know, what I would consider a good person. Um, I, I having a, the life I had growing up kind of hardened me a lot to the world and hardened me, hardened my heart to people um, to the point where I would, I actually had a policy DTA. Don't trust anybody. Everybody will mess you up. Um, and it took a long time, especially coming out of that divorce, to realize that, wow, the world is not actually like that. That is just the particular culture, that particular microcosm that I grew up in, and the rest of the world does not completely act that way. There are good people out there. And I started kind of almost studying good people. I would meet good people over the years, and um, the biggest things that I realized that I wanted uh, for myself was uh, two roles. And it's the same two roles that I use in my classroom. And it's be kind and be honest. Um, and that's what I try to do in all of my friendships, all of my relationships as well. I've not ever been perfect at it, far from it. But I do try to own up to my mistakes when I make them and um, just do better next time. And try to repair any damage that I did. And and. And it's interesting because you talk about holacracy and being more equal with people. But yet, in the example I used, I used a very hierarchical example um, of how to how to get more information from you. That's very fascinating because it's really hard because you're a person who not only understands language, you've become you're, you're learning mastery of it at a very high level. I have no doubt. Hmm? You know, because you're yeah. probably seeing all sorts of ways people communicate. 
And it must be – so how do we – what would be a step to try to take us away from that very hierarchical language in our businesses? I mean the shop owner sitting there, and then I've seen this over and over again. I've been on the other end of this where the shop owner says, we're going to do it my way. I go, okay, you're paying me. I do it my way. I'll do it your way. But, but listen, I'm here with the customers all day. I'm observing this thing. And what you're asking me to do is really bad for the customers because they don't like it. Right. And he goes, no, no, no. I know better than you. I see the books. I see this. And they don't, I've had a lot of shopkeepers who don't spend their day in the shop. They are out there doing, some of them doing the right thing, business development. Some of them are at the racetracks. Yes. I had a boss who spent most of their time at the racetracks during the day. Yeah. There's a liquor store. And yeah, that was a very interesting life, but then they would come in and didn't like how things are. So it's very hard for a lot of clerks or a lot of employees and then, then they get into their businesses and they go, I can do better than that. Having more emotion and a desire for their creativity than business logic. And then they're in trouble a year later not understanding business. Mm-hmm. Being very creative, making beautiful shops, they're not really understanding business enough. And they end up collapsing. I see this over and over again where a very harsh boss leads people into making these very emotional, very creative decisions that they could do better. And then collapse under it because they don't understand enough about business. They do understand enough about where they think their creativity should go. How can we get people past that? Hmm? Ooh, that's so um, that's, better at all. yeah, that's a, a difficult question because I think there's a lot of aspects to it. Um, mm-hmm. As far as the the boss in the situation, um, they're going to have to learn to be humble to learn that they're not perfect. They don't know everything. That was um, a a hard thing. And I think that's a a hard thing for people to learn in general, not just bosses, but us as individuals that we're, we don't know everything and that other people may have better advice for us than we have for ourselves. Um, And I think it's really important to just admit when you are not the person that should be doing this. Um, I know that I am not a detail oriented person, um, so I should not be the one that's running the workflow in our company. Uh, that is not where my strength lies. So um, that's the first thing is if you are the boss in the situation, humble yourself um, before your people, because it's your people on the front line. They're the ones that are seeing those customers every single day. Um, and then as far as people who are um, working in that type of environment, um, if at all possible, you know, you want to try to change the environment, but you're going to have to do so in a way that sees your boss's point of view. This is what they've been told all their life is how business works. This is their culture. This is what they were raised with. And you've got to do it in a way that respects where they came from, while at the same time offering up alternatives. Hey, I read about this thing that Zappos did, and it really took off for them, and it, it really changed the core of their their culture. And I think it can help us with some of the issues that I've been seeing with within our own organization. And just try to take it to them like that. Um, it is a slow process, and it's done over time. Honestly, I'm not a, a person that really likes to work within broken systems. So um, mm-hmm. my alternative was to step out of those kinds of systems and restart um, under a, a system that's more equal. Uh, if you if you can do that, if you have the, the opportunity to do that as well, and you can do it slowly over time. I didn't just jump out of um, uh, the, the things that I, were, I was doing as far as a regular employee teaching um, 
English or teaching uh, general education in America, I slowly transferred to where um, my business was supporting me and my money was making money for me. But that took seven years. That took a long time and it took a lot of hard work. Um, I was working 80 hours a week at certain points doing this. Um, that would be the, the, the option that you also have. Whether I mean, that's whether you're a boss or whether you're an employee. If you want to revamp your organization and you can't do it in your current structure, I already owned a company like that. I owned a company called Elite Transcription before that that was a top-down corporate structure. I kept seeing issues with it, kept seeing issues with it. And finally, I just got to the point where I need something different. And the guy I was dating at the time was a business coach himself and uh, did a lot of things with Agile. Um, and he, he came across an article about holacracy, and he said, I think this is what you're looking for. And I um, read the article. I watched a few videos on it. And I'm like, yeah, this, this will solve my problem. Um, it will take time, but it will solve my problem. And so we started uh, revamping the business to scoff. And, 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 and here you are now. Um, for people yeah. who are looking for another person who's uh, listening, so after you heard this, you can go back to Reiki Magic with Sherry Meyer, where she's now working really hard to make that final transition with her company. So you can hear a little bit about that struggle too. So she, yeah, she has some great advice for that as well. Um, awesome. We've been having a really lot of great advice as people who have made these sort of transitions. And what you're talking about is take a lot of patience. Um, I think yes. people want to rush. One of the things I keep hearing is they want to rush into it. Um, uh, I get a lot of people. So my traditions, and I work a lot now on my tradition. Um, I actually just had a business fail. I mean, just dramatically fail on me. And anytime you're in business, you can dramatically fail at any time if you don't actually know all the resources. And, yes, I've been and, there too. Yeah. Um, and uh, everybody knows Nature Little Recycle is my company, and uh, we're going to get back into a year. I'm taking out a year to spend kind of exploring my this, this passion I have for the community and learning about it. But I do know that, that the, again and again, when I say this, it says you overestimate what you can do in a year and underestimate what you can do in a decade, you know, Tony Robbins, and you don't have a clue what you can do in 25 years. And everybody groans at me about that and go, what do you, you know, that it's, when I hear the idea, it's great. You've got a great idea. It's going to take you a couple of years. I go, what do you mean a couple of years? Oh, maybe five, ten years. You know, what are you going to do for the first year? And they always look at me and go, oh, no, no, no. I'm going to make a million dollars at the end of the first year. I think this is going to blow up. You know? And I go, really? How? And then they start telling me different, you know, that the market's ready for it and these sort of things. And I go, okay, but can you do it for ten years? Yeah. Or is this something you want to do for 10 years? And go, oh, no, I'm thinking about selling it in a couple of years. And they don't realize that that desire for speed is going to kill them. They're not, they're not really yeah. serious that they want that speed. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah, so, absolutely. I mean, it sounds like so it took you seven years to transition into this. How long have you been at it with uh, your current uh, company? Well, uh, Elite started out seven years ago, and we have transferred over to Scoth since uh, December of 2018. And so I have um, uh, taken a lot of time to build up to where I am. And um, honestly, I just started out to make some extra money to buy books for my classroom because our our school was um, not financially well off. 
Uh, most of our children were in poverty. Most of our children were uh, learning English as a second language. And um, my kids needed books. So I actually took a second job to pay for my first job. Um, and then I realized I could make a lot more money at my second job and maybe even solve some of the problems I saw with my first job over time. So I would say uh, you need to start out slowly. You need to do what you can because I did not start out slowly. I went hardcore into um, working way too much to try to put back as much money as I could to invest more and more and more. And I ended up crashing and burning, not just like um, the business itself at that time crashed and burned trying to build it way too fast. But uh, the, I also crashed and burned personally and mentally and physically. And it was overwhelming for me. It was incredibly overwhelming. Um, you only have one life to live. So my advice is don't waste it spinning your wheels and trying to push into something that needs time to build. That makes sense um, to a lot of degrees. So, so get like two really uh, to that. Um, I've gotten scorched on this already, so folks, I'm ready to do this. Um, as a young woman in business, do you find it difficult to be a young woman in business, be taken seriously? Because um, I've mentioned before that I see a lot of young women who are taken on, who, who I see their personalities change a little bit when they get into business. They feel like they have to be harder or meaner yeah. or and defend their territory a lot more. Do you find that to be true for yourself? I mean, especially with this idea of holacracy. Um, I, I do and I don't. Within the company, I don't. Um, the, mm-hmm. the people within our company all follow holacracy, so there's not really a, a gender divide or anything like that. Um, plus, since I, I, my name is on the paperwork and I am a woman, um, they would also mm-hmm. know that that would not be a, a welcome thing in our culture. Um, women are empowered in our company, and men are too, just as equally. Um, and as far as outside of that, dealing with um, potential clients or um, interacting with business to business, I would say I've seen some of it, but it has gotten a lot better in the past um, five years or so. A lot better, pretty pretty much since the Me Too movement. Um, I have felt that that's uh, made men pay attention. And I think that's really important for men, especially in this day and age with, with, you know, it's 2000 current year. Um, there are things that are expected as far as equality in the workplace. And I feel like um, holding men accountable to that has uh, really helped them to understand that, whoa, okay, that's not an acceptable thing to do in the workplace and, or at all ever. Um, and and they, that starts changing. So, Yeah. Um, I would say it's getting okay. better, much better. Oh, I will say that I do see a difference because, like I said, one of the things I deal with is is not to be ageist. It's one of my very hard things because um, I point out to everybody. Um, I'm very fortunate in that one of the things I believe in is education. Um, I took a very controversial look at the world uh, more than 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and I decided my faith was great faith and that was that only helped me that would help other people and i i took it really out of the closet i mean eventually i started as you know which goal which you're on mm-hmm. and uh you yeah. mentioned that you've been a member on and off and i want to thank you for that um 
and that basically I wanted to make education much more accessible, and that was very hard. And But what has happened is the benefit of that and the difficulty that I raise sometimes is ageism. Like now I've been at it for a very fairly long time, still got a long career ahead of me, but more than 20 years. And people who started these courses like 20 years ago have now major members of my tradition, but they're, they're I always say, well, wow, you guys are just getting started. I was your age when I got started, and they're like already – deep into the hierarchy they're already deep into training and everything Mm -hmm. and so i find it very interesting that i have i don't have a a problem dealing with women or men or anything else i do have a little bit of ageism like listen to me i find myself turning into my elders uh every once in a while Mm -hmm. so um, go ahead i was gonna say so do you have any opinion on on that aspect of it Within the, when this idea of the holography or what you're dealing with. Well, I have a, a clarification question here. Do you mean that you feel like you might be ages towards those who are younger than you or older than you? Oh, both. Both. Okay. It, it goes both ways. Uh, it's gone both ways. So it's like elders, uh, um, you know, people know I'm working with Oberon Zell, for example, and some of the older elders, which are like 15 about 15 years older on the average. Uh, over until, you know, 77, just turned 77. I'm dealing with a lot of elders that are just hitting like their 70s. And they just dislike the idea of the internet or keeping up with it. But they want a legacy. So you have to, you know, you have to start creating a new legacy. Because they're used to the idea of books and teaching. And I've been teaching them attention. But equally so, I'm looking around and, and oh, my God, there's TikTok. And they're using Snapchat. I'm going... Why are you using that stuff? Well, we have perfectly good systems. So I find myself yelling at the older people first. They're <laughs> like, no, no, you have to come and try to work with us a little bit. And then you look at the younger people and I'm like, I'm an Xer, so I'm caught between millennials and boomers. So, um, and they go back to that and go like, well, no, this is not the best way of doing it, but it's their way of doing it. And I have had really to watch and sit down and accept that they're doing it their way. So I find it in both directions. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, I think my advice on that would be to try to find as many ways of getting the information out as possible. Why settle for just TikTok, just Snapchat? Like, and I think you've actually done um, a short blog on this before, too. Use multiple channels to get your message out. And um, it's fine to put it in old school book and paper format, but you're going to limit yourself greatly if that's the only way you do it. You have to be on board with technology these days, or you're not going to get that younger generation to fall. And and, and that's a problem that's happening across uh, religions all over the world. We are not reaching the younger generation, so they're going to fall away from anything spiritual. They're going to start turning away from that. And the the thing with that is, while it's fine to to not be spiritual, there's a lot of benefits that they can have from having some form of spirituality in their life. And um, if you don't want them to miss out on that benefit, you have to find a way to reach those kids. I agree. And as everybody knows, I've carried um, it through. I, I talk, I do talk about, I was one list. I was, you know, my one list, which became e-groups, which became Yahoo groups. We moved on to, uh, we were one of the first YouTubers. Most people don't realize, yeah, Magic TV was like one of the very mm-hmm. first YouTube channels to deal with this material. And we saw that. I remember watching them. 
Yeah, yep. 2006, February 2006. It was in their first year. It was a big benefit to us. We, you know, we've done podcasts. This podcast is over 10 years old. We've done radio. So I'm a big advocate of using the technology of today. And in today's technology, and that's a hard thing for everyone to understand, is I'm not marketing to yesterday's technology, nor am I trying to get ahead of myself too much. I mean, I love the idea of VR. I want to build VR stuff, but we're not there yet. So I'm a big believer in today's technology. And and so are you. And, and I've noticed that one of the things you've done really well is that, like I said, you, you do, you're on Instagram, you're on various spaces. So thank you, you know, thank you for noticing that, and I appreciate that. So one last thing, and then I think that, I think that I've got, and I think that I think you've you've brought us through a lot of information, and I think you've introduced an idea that I don't think people have heard much about: the idea of holacracy and how to mm-hmm. kind of dealing with it. Um. So and the idea that the value of getting some of these professional services. So I'm, I'm a new podcaster. I'm a new blogger. I'm a new YouTuber. How would I go ahead? So what would you, so just a real way, how would I go ahead and get into a space where I can go ahead and communicate better? What would I need to do to, to be able to reach out to that hard to hear community? You know, you talk about the captions, what would I need to do? How, what could I expect? What should be the path I should take? I think you need to talk to those people. Um, the, you, whoever your audience is, find people who are in that age range, that uh, that socioeconomic structure. Um, find people who are interested in what you have to say and ask them about what they want to hear. Um, and then with that, also always speak from you know your own personal place of truth. Um, I wasn't at the beginning like looking to please an audience here. I just happened to start building an audience. Um, slowly over time um, and, and it's still a small audience I have a very niche audience it's not you know a, a huge amount of followers it's only about 5,000 followers and that's really small um, so mine's still growing too but I started just speaking about what I was going through and just being honest with where I was and I made mistakes constantly I, I still make mistakes constantly um, but just keep getting your message out there and make sure it's your truth and make sure that you start connecting with those people that connect with you. If you have people commenting on your things, comment back, build that following, build those connections, because those are going to be your first people that are, you know, the head of your fan club, the ones that are running, that are moderating for your channel, the ones that are running your discord. You can build that slowly over time. Those are just the first steps. Connect with those people. And find as many ways as you can to connect with them. And uh, I'm so glad you connected with us today. So one last time, how can people get a hold of you? Now they've listened through, they, they're now excited, they're interested. How can people get a hold of you? Or what's the best way to communicate with you? Uh, you can connect with uh, us through Scoth at scothtranscription.com. You can send me an email at chris at scothtranscription.com. Our Instagram is at scothcompany. So is our Twitter and our Facebook is uh, facebook.com forward slash Scoth transcription. So whatever way you use to communicate, we probably are communicating that way too. And, um, and I thank you. So any last thoughts? Um, Have we covered it? Uh, well, I, I was, yeah, I think we've covered it though. My only last thoughts would be that uh, a couple, two things. Um, one, um, you know, my, our goal with, with Scoth is to make sure that content is accessible to everybody in an affordable way. So if, if people are struggling to figure out how to pay for this, reach out, 
there are ways to finance it. There are ways to get this on. We don't want money to ever be the reason that you can't succeed. So we're here to work with small business. We're here to work with startups. We're here to work with nonprofits. Um, and then secondly, just a little bit of a fangirl kind of thing. I remember being like 18, 19, 20 years old and um, starting to, you know, starting into uh, witch school and all of this. And, and, and then hearing you and Reverend Dawn on uh, magic TV and everything that was just, so that's a kind of like a cool thing for me. I just kind of want to put that out there that, yeah, I've been watching you for a long time. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. Um, um, you know, and I, I can understand. I'm a big, I'm still a big fanboy for a lot of this myself, and I think there's a certain passion for it. I appreciate that, and I'm, I'm going to want to have you back on. I think you, you're going to start a conversation. I think that, um, that's been lying in the background. As I'm traveling around this year, people have been asking me about different models, and I have not actually heard too much. I, so I've really seen holacracy, and I'll be honest, you've, you've, you've really opened up a little bit of my eyes on this holacracy because I've always kind of felt it. I'll be honest, I felt it was like a tech thing. You know, like it's like the big tech thing. It's like you actually have to have a lot of money and a lot of energy behind it. But obviously, while you're doing very well with your business and you've earned it right, it isn't like you're a super big tech company. You're not a Zappos right now. You're not an Amazon, no. where I always think about those things. Um, I hope you do get that big, but uh, as big as you'd like to be. But I think you've really opened my eyes on this idea that um, I'm hoping to have you guys on. I hope you have you on more again. Um, so, so you got it. You guys, get, folks, you've got the information, and um, you know. Uh, so thank you, and uh, thank you for being part of this. And um, so next up, we're going to have a special report about Patrick McCollum coming in. It is so cool. And uh, Today we've been in the Netherlands, uh, and we're going to be interviewing more business leaders, including Bridget's Head Montana, Bridget's Closet, and so many more. But this has been a very special show. So thank you, Chris, for being on. Thank you so much, and, Ed. I've um, had a lot of fun. And uh, there it is. And a good, for the conversation, we're going to end the show with music. Uh, the, our music piece is Cecilia, which is Listen. Blessed be.